It's time now for the Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. I want to speak to you on this subject. When the world was introduced to wonderful, when the world was introduced to wonderful, the Bible says this, and this really depicts the combination of the incarnation, the fact that Jesus is God and that Jesus is man. He was man enough to ride in the boat with the disciples, but God enough to walk upon water. Man enough to get thirsty and sit by the well and wait for the woman that he was introduced the water of life to, but God enough to turn the water into wine. Man enough that he came riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, but God enough that he's coming back on a white horse in glory. God, when he was born into this world, the angels lit up the sky. Yet he allowed a woman, a human being, to give him nourishment from her own body. God, in that he grabbed hold of the attention of the wise men with the great star and led them to the manger. But man, in that Mary, changed the dirty diapers of God. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? The dirty diapers of God. It's... So easy to allocate our Lord only to God, and he is distant from us, but he's not only God, but he's man. He's the God-man, not half one and half the other, but all God, all man, God with all power, man with all temptation, yet without sin. We see this wonderful combination in the phrase in verse number six of our text of Isaiah nine, for unto us. A child is born, man. Unto us a son is given, God. One who has no beginning and no end. Therefore, he must be given. But yet he's human. Therefore, he was born, the God-man. Emmanuel, God with us. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And... His name shall be called Wonderful. If the Lord is willing tonight, I want to talk to you a bit more about Him being Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and to a degree the Prince of Peace, but we'll be touching on the peace part this morning. But we want to focus in as best we can on that wonderful name that is his alone. For no one in this world who has ever been born could really be called full of wonder or wonderful like Jesus. Many different concepts cluster around the word wonderful. What's in a name? Shakespeare asked. Well, what is in this name? Well, when we look at our definitions, we see the word amazement when we see synonyms for wonderful. We see the word surprise. We see the word astonishment. We see the word awe. We see the word admiration. I think to get a better understanding, we look at this Hebrew word wonderful. It means to 
separate. It means to distinguish. It means something like we have never beheld before, something like we have never known before. Yes, with all the awe and admiration, but a step beyond that, meaning it is so different than anything we have ever known or seen before. Throughout its Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, we see this word wonderful is also translated marvelous. The same word is also translated hidden. The same word is also translated too high, too double O, T double O, too high, too difficult. It is also a word that can, we're going to be translated miracle. His name should be called miracle. His name should be called too high. His name should be called wonderful. The basic meaning is unique and different. We must be careful to distinguish the word wonderful, as in Jesus being wonderful, from substituted ideas that might lead us astray. For as you see, true wonder has depth. It is not a shallow emotion or a passing wave of excitement. Wonder, as in Jesus being wonderful, awe and different from what we know, goes beyond sensationalism. It is not chief amusement. It is not that which touches us slightly. It enriches us and blesses us and leaves us, if we know more about him in being wonderful, it leaves us a better person. It creates in us an attitude of humility that we would be touched by this one who is wonderful. We are overwhelmed and we sense in ourselves, in this name, wonderful, the greatness of God and the littleness of man. David knew the feeling when he said in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. See, many people believe that the wonder or the all or the amazement of wonderful is based on ignorance. Being ignorant and savage in a big city may make us amazed at what we see. But true wonder is based on knowledge. The more we know of him, the more we wonder. It is the childlike spirit based on beyond the innocence of our ignorance. It is founded upon an attitude of the heart and mind toward reality. For you see, the wise men knew who he was. And those who seemed to be most in tune to who he was in the universe bring to him gold and myrrh. They bring to him these commemoratives of over 500 miles. They were caught up in the wonder. You know, when you think about these men traveling for at least 500 miles, we're talking about a trip that would take a month to a month and a half. Can you imagine them explaining to their wives they're going to be gone one-tenth of the year? But it seems to be... 
a given that it should be done, it would be done because they are going to one who is wonderful. The more we know, the more we wonder. This is more than excitement over a passing novelty. This is something that is embedded in the warp and woof of this human history that God would become flesh and dwell among us. Sir Isaac Newton said to myself, I seem to have been only like a boy playing on the seashore and diverting myself now and then and finding a smoother pebble or prettier shell than ordinary whilst the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered from before me. Albert Einstein says the fairest thing we can experience is the mysterious. And the more we know of this mysterious marvel, the greater our wonder increases of him. He grabs hold of us like no other. And his name shall be called Wonderful. If I see a telescope, F.W. Borum said I was reading uh, one of his vignettes. He explained that if I look at the telescope only and I see it and I say, I marvel at this. Look at the beautiful brass rings around this telescope. Look at the beautiful glass on the end of it. Look at the shiny ebony that lines down its corridor. That seems like I'm to a degree call up and wonder. But all oh, when I put my eye to that telescope and I look at the seven stars, when I look at the bands of Orion, when I look up into that sky through that telescope, now my wonder is manifold a hundred times at this little instrument. Oh, that we might do more than look at Jesus, that we might look through Jesus and see him who he is. Isn't that what they cried out for in the Gospel of Luke when the Gentiles could only go so far and they could not get to where they could hear the voice of Jesus? They cried out, sirs, we would see Jesus. We want to see him. We, we want to peer beyond the external. We want to see what he's all about and what he is doing. I look at this great text today and I see verse number one of chapter nine of Isaiah. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's up in the northern area of Israel. And afterward did more grievously afflict her by the wayside of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. That's where the Lord Jesus was reared in Galilee. That would be our Appalachia of America. That would be our hillbilly section. That's why when the disciples, who for the most part were from that northern area of the country, when they spoke on the day of Pentecost, they knew who they were. Galileans. That's kind of like when a person from Texas goes down to Mexico. You can still tell that he's Texan, even though he's speaking Spanish. Finish notches. Que pasa, senor? Ah, are these not Galileans? This is the area that Jesus was reared from. That's why they said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? These are the healers. 
Oh, but the prophecy of Isaiah says, yes, from that area of Zeph, uh, Naphtali and Zebulun up in the area of Galilee. What's going to happen? Verse number two, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is exactly what Zacharias said after he was restored to speech and explained that his son John the Baptist, a miracle birth in itself, not like the virgin birth of Jesus through, through, through not Elizabeth, but Mary, but still nonetheless a miracle. He begins to speak beyond John and say John was making way for what? For the great light that will shine out of the darkness. He will come, Zacharias said, in a prophetic sense, he will come to those who walk in darkness. He says in verse number two again, Isaiah, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. So I bring your attention that Christ is wonderful in his deliverance from darkness. He delivers us from darkness. I think sometimes we don't realize how great he is till we see the darkness that we've often been in. You see, when it's dark, we don't see and we don't understand everything that's happening. I think sometimes we don't understand what happens when we hold the word of God in our hand. Recently, I was reading about two scholars who were at a university where they had the greatest array of papyrus. Papyrus was that early substance taken from the reeds in the swamplands of the Sudan and Egypt to make the earliest form of paper. And because of the hot sands of Egypt where no parasites and so on would live, they found buried beneath the hot sands of Egypt the most ancient papyrus ever found. Some of it went back a thousand B.C. to a thousand A.D. And I still like to call it B.C. and A.D., year of our Lord and before Christ. Not the common era. You can call it whatever you want to. We still mark our calendar with Jesus. By the way, I'm, I'm alarmed at the atheistic antagonism and militancy that's coming after Christianity at this hour. So you stand as freeborn Americans and lift up your faith and still tell everybody, Merry Christmas. Amen. Don't worry about that. God bless us, everyone, too. Don't forget that. Okay. But, but at any event, we found that these two scholars came and it was so moving reading about one of these scholars as he explained he's looking at the Gospel of Matthew. It's almost 2,000 years old, Jerry. And it's taken from beyond the glass and he's laying his hand on the papyrus. Manuscript that tells of Jesus and the woman at the well and Peter's denial and the coming of the cross. And it, it occurs to him as he's, as he's looking at this writing, this ancient language on this ancient papyrus that's almost 2,000 years of age, that the scribe who was pitting that was actually holding in this hand the original autographs of the apostles themselves, as he wrote with this hand exactly what he saw. He was looking at the original autographs once removed. By the way, it was reading just like the King James. Thought I'd throw that in there, okay? 
And then he said, suddenly he said he was arrested. He, he was spellbound. And although he didn't use the word there, as I read these words, this is what came to my mind. He was caught up in the wonder. I think that we forget so many times that God gave this book to the holy men of old and they held in their hand the very words of holy God. Oh, my friend, let me tell you something. We are a people who of all people who have been delivered from the darkness and we forget that the light of light that's recorded in this word is so real and so relevant for today. You can read this book and it's more up to date than USA Today, CNN or even Fox News. It is the word of God. Going back in time to one of the early church fathers, Chrysostom. I have a paragraph that Chrysostom's father, now going back closer to the time of the apostles and Jesus, made about prayer. Would you like to hear what someone who was walking among Polycarp, the disciple of John, the beloved apostle, who was the disciple of Jesus, listen to what this man in the ancient days said about prayer. John Chrysostom's father said the potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It hath bridled the rage of lions. Hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, saved the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of a thunderbolt. Prayers an all-sufficient penalty, a treasure undiminished, a mind which never is which is never exhausted. A sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. What was Chrysostom's father saying about prayer? He was standing back and saying, this is wonderful. Thunderbolts have been arrested. Mouths of lions have been stayed. When we pray, you know... Many of us have forgotten the wonder of prayer. That God came to this earth and he taught us to pray. You can see nowhere in scriptures where Jesus ever taught a man to preach, but we can find places in scripture such as Matthew 6, Luke 11, where Jesus teaches his people how to pray our Father which art in heaven. The great poet Loretta of Scotland. Bonnie Bobby Burns, Robert Burns wrote these words. When I see boys ride a cock horse, I find it in my heart to embarrass them by hinting that their sticks a mock horse and they really carry what they say carries him. I think that we don't realize that as we pray to Almighty God, it is not merely us going through exercise of rote and memory and childish, now I lay me down to sleeps. Or God is great and God is good. And now we bless him for the food. But we are entering into the arena where it is not my prayer carrying me through my Christian experience. But I'm praying to Almighty God who is carrying me and carrying my prayer. Like the little boy riding his mock horse. Who he... Indeed, is carrying rather than it carrying him. 
Christ is wonderful in his deliverance from darkness. You know, if you have your Bibles, I want you to see a remarkable passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 1. John, the beloved apostle, was one whom was referred to in Holy Scripture as he who lay upon the bosom of the Lord. He who seemed to revel in the closest proximity as possible. And it seems that even over half of a century later that he is still marveling that he had the priceless privilege of not only knowing about Jesus, but knowing him personally. And tell me if you cannot, by this inspiration ordained by the Holy Spirit, can you not feel the very emotion, yea, the wonder of John as he is trying to convey to us what it was like. He says in verse number one, first John one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. We've seen him. We've touched him. He is in awe. He is in wonder. He's someone like I've never known before. He delivers from darkness. Those that walk in darkness have seen a great light. I bring to your attention, he delivers us from dullness. Yes, dullness. Notice what it says in verse 3. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. Now here it's talking about the joy of the world that they can bring. It is not increased. We see Solomon explaining that when he talks about, I got me all that my riches could get me. I, I, I financed all the fantasies that I could ever get, but still I didn't have the joy. I didn't have the happy. It says in verse 3, they joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, he is saying, but what I give is not the joy of the world, which is not really joy at all. But it is my joy like the man who clicks his heels, as it were, because the harvest is in and what he could not grow, God grew and he's reaped a harvest. He's going to get a profit. He's going to get the food on the table and he's happy about it. And he says, this is what we have in Jesus the bread of life who's come to us, who's given us satisfaction, who's given us fulfillment. I was thinking as my wife and I had an anniversary dinner just a couple of nights ago, how that we were eating something that we have never eaten before. And we both looked at each other and we were doing this number. Mm, mm, mm. But you know what? The next day we woke up hungry. Oh, yeah. But Jesus said he is the bread of life. He is the water. We'll never thirst again if we come to him. We'll never hunger again. He meets our every need. You know, I think about a sad commentary on the world that we live in that really shows you what little joy, real joy the world can give. I remember many, many years ago, back in the 60s, a rock and roll group called the Rolling Stones came out with a song called I Can't Get No Satisfaction. They're still singing it. You know why? Because they still can't get no satisfaction. The world cannot give you satisfaction. In Christ, 
We have a joy unspeakable that's full of glory. Yes, we're delivered from dullness. I think about Bertrand Russell, far from being a fundamentalist by any means, said this. At least half the sins of mankind were caused by the fear of boredom. Think about that. Henry David Thoreau said a city is defined as a hundred people being lonely together. You see, what the world gives you can never satisfy. Henry Ford, when asked how much money, sir, would it take to make you happy, he said, just a little more. When I read about a man who dishonestly took advantage of one resource and took advantage by taking $400 million that were not his. Why wouldn't have been happy with a hundred million? Hey, a million. It's never enough. Why does Donald Trump keep working? Why does Bill Gates keep pushing it? Why does, why does Buffett, as his biography connotes, still keep trying to make the snowball roll? Because it's never enough. There's never enough security. As I talked to someone recently, they said everything we invested, everything we had, it's all gone. We were in retirement. We've got to come out. We've got to find a job. My wife and myself, we've got to find a job. What are we going to do? Maybe trust God. Oh, my friend. Isn't it true that if we base our happiness on everything and anything this world has to offer us, we can never be truly secure that there's always going to be a little bit of dullness there. It never would be quite enough. I sometimes marvel at some of the most beautiful houses I've ever seen. And I'll drive by one day and it's only a man and his wife and one child living there and they're getting an add on. So you got a man and his wife and one child living in a place and they got 17 bedrooms and, and they got eight bathrooms. I mean, how many more bathrooms do you need to be happy? He's no better than I am. He can only sleep in one bedroom at a time. He can only go to one restroom at a time. What do you do? Suds up in this one, rinse in this one, and wash your hair in that one? If that be the case, I'd really be ripped off, wouldn't I? Folks, why? Guy has a bet in his driveway one day and he come by, then he's got a Porsche the next day, and then he's got this Lamborghini the next day. I don't know what the problem is. I've been happy with a Mini Cooper. Of course, I got one now. Thank you, Doug. It's about that big. He said I could open it before Christmas and I already wore out the batteries of the thing. So all I need now, Doug, is some new batteries, but I found they had extra batteries in it. But anyway, <laughs> we're funny like that, aren't we? Some of you are going to feel guilty Christmas. You, you'll get what you wanted, then you'll find a little bit of a letdown. You say, what's wrong with me? I got everything I wanted for Christmas. What's the deal here? Focus in on he who is wonderful. I often think about Grandpa Wright, my wife's daddy, reared up in the Depression. 
On Christmas Day, he opened his one and only present. And here's what it was. An orange. One orange in a stocking. And when he unpilled it, to his chagrin, it was rotten. Isn't that sad? But you know, I have to tell you, one of the happiest people I ever met in my life is my father-in-law, Paul Wright. I think about cancer surgery that he's had. If you see him now, you'll, you'll notice if you look that there's just a portion of his neck that has been removed because of cancer. But he still lifts up his now smaller neck and strains at some of those Wabash cannonball type songs. Had a stroke. He can hardly fret his guitar, but I saw him this past uh, few weeks when we were visiting up there doing everything he could to make a G chord and make a C chord just as happy as a dead pig in the sunshine. You know why? Because happiness is not based on whether he can make the chord or whether he can make the sound. This is a man whom I've known all my life, whose life was totally anchored in on Jesus. And when they could have laid up for so much more than they have right now, they were giving sacrificially. They were finding people who were in need. And they, and I never have said this, but I, I think it's okay to say it, and we're safe enough to say it now. But I've seen these people all through their lives give incognito. They would find somebody that had a need and they would do everything they can to make sure that person would never find out who it was and they were their benefactor and they would give and they would give and they would give. I often think about sometimes the delicious food that we have on Sunday afternoon. When my wife was growing up, many of her Sunday afternoons were never eaten with delicious food. For her dad would drive 60 miles to pick up kids that didn't have a ride to church and drive 60 miles in another direction, 120 miles round trip. So that every Sunday afternoon for several years, Barbara and her brothers had bologna sandwiches, maybe peanut butter sandwiches. That was their Sunday afternoon meal. Drop off the kids and get back just in time for church. But the Kenneth Paul Wright family was one of the happiest Christian families I have ever known in my life. Never went to Bible college. Never was formally educated much beyond high school. The only joy that he wanted, it seemed like, was to have his family nearby and to have them in church. In the last conversation I had just a couple of weeks ago with Paul Wright, it was early in the morning. Nobody was up but me and him. He began to tell me about his pastor growing up and how much he loved him. He did everything he could to get his kids to hear the Bible. And he broke down and started crying. And I thought to myself, here's a man that found the wonder in life. The wonder of Jesus. They're living in a modular home. Gave away most of what they had. You find a happier man than he is. You won't do it because he found the wonder, something that the biggest tycoons are missing and they're going nuts right now because they did not build their life on wonderful. They built their life on cheap thrills. Temporary magnificence. Fireworks instead of the stars. Man-made papier-mâché 
asteroids and not the sun of righteousness who arises with healing in his wings. Christ is wonderful. And he came to us to deliver us from darkness. To deliver us from dullness. And to deliver us from disturbances. It says in verse number two, verse number six, for unto us a child is born, chapter nine of Isaiah, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Notice the word government and Prince of Peace, peace and government together. And you see it ramified in verse number seven of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. One day Jesus will come again in glory. He comes for his own. Seven years later, he comes with his own. And he sets up a 1,000 year reign upon this earth. And the Prince of Peace is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he reigns with a rod of iron. And there's peace on earth. But I'm telling you, in each and every individual pieces of earth that are sitting out there, for we're made of the earth, He can give you peace like you've never known before. He can give you a calmness like you've never known before. I wonder. A little lady, true story, and her husband were falling apart in marriage. In a very sad attempt to rekindle the fires of marriage, which they believed had been unsuccessful, brought about a pregnancy. Because these two were determined that their lives were not to go on together, they felt like the visible manifestation of a love that was not there need not be here. Not being short on funds, she had no problem with no insurance coverage of it. She herself laid out the cold cash for her abortion. Laid it on the table. The abortion clinic took it. She was a little bit nervous. But she believed that it was the right thing to do. Her life was filled with chaos. There was anything but peace in her earth. So she was taking that earth that she inhabited and was willing to submit the earth, the life that God had created within her, to be terminated. I'm not exaggerating for emphasis' sake by any means. This would be, I believe, Almost irreverent, if not irreverent indeed. But when she was in the beginning stages of receiving an act that would take the life of her baby, the doctor, while holding the cruel instruments of which he was going to administer this ghastly, dark and dismal, murderous deed, received a phone call. She, while still conscious, saw him literally lay down these instruments of cruelty and said, I'll be back in a little bit. Just rest easy. 
And as he left to attend a common phone call, she looked up and forgive me if I don't know the name of this right, but I believe a sonogram. She looked up at the screen that was helping him guide him through this abortion. And with the instruments of cruelty laying right beside of her, she sees the image of her baby. Isn't it amazing what you can see now on those machines? She saw it. She'd never seen anything like that before. It was her baby. There was movement. There was life. And suddenly she was caught up in the wonder. And now it was most unthinkable without asking anybody for any permission. She got up, although wobbly, just herself and exited. And that child is now celebrating birthdays. And the mother has never lost the wonder nor the reality of how close she was to taking that life. Isn't it amazing that Christmas is all about a baby? One baby. And many of us have never caught a glimpse of him Salvation wrapped in swaddling clothes. The infinite who has become an infant to give us life. Look in the mean, be saved, all ye ends of the earth. If we can just take one look at wonderful, we will find the wonder within. It's called being born again. We become different. We cannot be touched by Almighty God without being changed ourselves. No one was ever touched by Jesus that ever remained the same. And his name shall be called Wonderful. That's Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of thy word. That you said we would know and would indeed set us free. For unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name should be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Let there be no end to that wonder today. I pray that those that are outside of your salvation would come to Jesus and know the wonder of salvation today. Today, I pray thee, O Lord, for those that need the peace of God. Maybe that are saved, but Lord, they're bothered by many circumstances. I pray that they'll today get caught up in the wonder of who you are. Oh, Father, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You are the wonderful one. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's everybody stand. Pastor Jerry, what shall we sing? 8-11. Christmas.
that concludes our pulpit hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at WGCR.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.